Tonight I'd like to invite you to take, take your Bibles and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. As you know, recently there has been a lot of unsettling news and a lot of questions on the national scene about what is actually going on and how are you and I to press ahead and be faithful in really kind of strange times sometimes. It seems like every day now you watch the news or read the news and you think, what on earth were they thinking when they decided those kind of things? Take a look, if you will, at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. And I'll go back and talk about the context of this in a little bit more in the message. But look at the one verse. I love these kind of verses that say, God is able. How many of you would remember when we renovated this auditorium? We met, we had two services each Sunday morning down in Spurgeon Hall, and the entire series during that time was God is able. How many of you remember uh, those days? So a lot of you know, and this undoubtedly was one of the verses that we looked at at the time. Look at what it says in verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Get the overflowing feel of that. Abound toward you. So that you always, the idea is at all times, having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Shall we pause together to pray? Thank you, Father, for the opportunity tonight to carefully consider your words and to ponder what you have for us. Help us, Lord. Enable us. Help us to overflow, we pray, into the lives of others by your great grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look at the news and you try to figure out, hey, what is going on in these days, there are some troubling things. I sat in a presentation at a board meeting this last uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Michael O'Neill, who is married to one of our, I'm trying to remember if it's student or uh, graduates, he married one of the Kuiper girls. Was that a graduate or a student? Uh, A graduate. Uh, This young man, very, very well-respected there in the church in Indianapolis, and also he does a lot of work over in India as well. He did a presentation, and I was meditating on this message, and I was watching this presentation, and I thought, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was planning to talk about on Sunday evening. Inflation at a 40-year high, 80% of Americans worried about the economy, 37% of Americans could consider themselves to be in financial crisis, 40% of Americans say they have no savings whatsoever. Those are causes for great concern, and they basically spell times of uncertainty all around us. Not only that, 50% of Americans say finances have an impact on their mental health. On January 16th, the highest number of searches for the search of anxiety or depression than any other day. Three times more Americans falling behind on car payments than than compared to, say, 2009. On top of that, you have the whole question about what's going on in the Ukraine, the military uh, amount of money we're sending there, military armaments and things like that, and uh, just some really serious questions. Our our federal government, what are they doing with the most recent uh, spending? I think it was $1.7 trillion. And you think, is is there any end to this. 
Tonight, what I'd like to talk about is what happens in our hearts. What is it that you and I should think about? And what is it that we should ponder as we face these very kinds of questions? And that's one of the reasons that I'm pointing to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in verse 8. Here's where we ought to begin. We ought to begin with God is able. Can I say it to you this way? Take no counsel of your fears. It would be very easy to do that in these days. It would be very easy to be fearful, and certainly sometimes you wonder if the news is being twisted or skewed to actually cause people to be fearful. I mean, 40-year high inflation, you can see how people would make much of those kind of things. People concerned about, hey, am I going to be able to uh, take care of things? Google searches on anxiety and depression. But one of the principles I think you see in the Word of God is take no counsel of your fears. Remember that Paul said to Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So take no counsel of your fears, but begin with this, God is able. Could we begin there? Let me say it again. Take no counsel of your fears, but begin with this, God is able. Even our motto for the state of Ohio, with God, nothing shall be, what's the next word? Impossible. It, it, all things are possible. All things that the Lord says that he will do are possible and he will do them. With, nothing, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So think about this verse and think about it sort of like the overflow, if you will, of what is happening in every one of our lives is that God's amazing grace is abounding in us. Now, here's the context, and we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, during the message. They knew that there was a very serious and difficult time coming upon the earth. As I'll demonstrate to you in just a moment, that what they were talking about, Acts chapter 11, they were talking about a famine that would be worldwide. Now, just stop to ponder that one for a moment and think, whoa, a worldwide famine. If there were a worldwide famine coming, um, how would you prepare for that? I mean, just put, I'll just put that question in your lap just for a moment. Hey, there's a worldwide famine coming. What are you doing? <laughs> you want to look to your spouse and say, hey, let's go get our Patriot supply, you know, let's go get our survival foods, let's go get all of our other stuff and put it in the basement and, you know, get a good gun so nobody can steal it from us. And, you know, you see all kind of things out there. Uh, if I have food and somebody is hungry and they're coming after it, am I going to kill them for coming after my food? I'm not. I'm just telling you right now, I'm not killing people for uh, stuff like that. There's a whole lot of fearfulness that goes on, and a lot of it is not based on faith at all. I mean, after all, do we really believe that we can pray, give us this day our daily bread, and the Lord will do so? It's those kind of things when you begin to start here with 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that you recognize God is able. Specifically, what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are about is they're about giving. Now, I went back and tried to find when was the last time I preached on this, and I honestly believe it has been close to 20 years since I've actually preached from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Suffice it to say, if you want the two best chapters in the Scripture on giving, on understanding why we give, what's the theology or the view of God behind why we give. Second Corinthians 8 and 9, in my opinion, are far and away the best chapters to understand 
What are the principles behind rational giving and what will God do for us? And the reason I raise that is the kind of grace that he's talking about here is actually the grace of giving. We know there's a number of different kinds of grace, right? It says in Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Well, there he's obviously not talking about the grace of giving. He's talking about kindness and love. And so there's different aspects of God's grace But it's all under that one umbrella, if you will, that grace is God's undeserved favor. It's his unmerited favor in all of our lives. I have uh, put it to you this way before that you can spell grace, godly responses activated by Christ enablement. That's a great way to think about grace, sanctifying grace. Godly responses that are activated by Christ's enablement. So what he's talking to them about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when he, when he speaks of the fact, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You see it there at the very end of 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. He's just glorifying the Lord. Lord, thank you for your, your unspeakable, your indescribable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about when he talks about grace. Now, one of the reasons that's so helpful is after the statistics I just put on the screen a few moments ago where there are causes for concern about what's happening with our economy and sometimes, you know, is there going to be enough money left at the end of the month and just trying to make things work? Here's a great place to begin. God is able. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Now, Think about what he's, he's appealing to them for. If you went back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, just notice that just for a second. He said, moreover, brethren, we want to make you aware of the churches of Macedonia, verse 2, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they abounded unto the riches of their liberality. You look at verse 2 and say, well, how on earth did they do that? How, how did they, out of their deep poverty, how were they able to abound and give out of the riches of their liberality? That's exactly what he's talking about. He is not in any sense trying to compare church with church, not the churches of Macedonia and the church of Corinth. And, hey, let's have a little competition here for see who can raise the most money. He, he hasn't got that in mind at all. What he does have in mind is when he talked to the congregation at Philippi, when he wrote to them, remember when he said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He was saying that to the congregation of Philippi because they had given toward his ministry. And he said, here's the confidence I have. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So this is the kind of thing he has in mind here as he is appealing to this fairly wealthy church at Corinth. He is appealing to them to give. He said, and here's why. Here's one of the reasons. This is actually the third reason that he gives. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, overflow towards you. So that you always, and the idea there is at all times, at all times, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance. You may abound to every good work. Think about the way that Paul is thinking about money here. 
How does he conceive of money? Is money for you or is money for you to honor God and bless others? Obviously, when you go to the word of God and see the very reason we have money, that the reason we have it is to bless and honor God and to give to others. In fact, one of the reasons we have money is to be able to lay up treasure in heaven. I mean, that's one of the reasons we have the privilege of even having money so that we can abound to every good work and we can give in ways that truly honor the Lord with this understanding that God is able. God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always, at all times, having all sufficiency in all things. You see all the alls and everys in here? I mean, it's just a pretty remarkable verse when you step back to think about it. So that in every good work, some people might think, well, if I were to give, I might get grace. That's exactly the opposite of the way Paul is approaching us here. He said, no, don't you understand? You have been given grace so that you can give. That's, that's the way he is viewing this. And you and I could give testimonies. I am positive there are people in this room right now who could stand up and give testimonies about the way that God has blessed their finances and demonstrated to them that God is able. He is able to make us abound ultimately at all times in all things so that we could abound in every good work. Now let's put it to the test, shall we? Let's see the context, historical context. Let's go back over to Acts chapter 11 just for a few minutes. Acts chapter 11 and ask this question, what happened at Antioch? Acts chapter 11 is describing when the news broke about this worldwide famine that was coming. And it makes a very interesting comment right there in Acts chapter 11. This is in verse 26. And here's what it says. It says, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Here's one of the difficulties that is going on today, and that is people are saying, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't know that I'm really a disciple, okay? What's the problem with that? You take that verse and you put it up next to what you actually find in the Word of God, and you find, wait a minute, it's the disciples who were called Christians first at Antioch. There's sort of a strange view of discipleship that is out there today, even of Christian growth. And it goes something like this, that, that you have this ultimate goal, and the goal out there is, is to be like Jesus Christ, and that you are, you know, little by little uh, trying, and, and you're working really hard, but you're never getting there, you, but, but you're, you're always trying and trying and trying to get there. Can I just point out to you that that's a pretty self-centered way to view your Christianity, ultimately. It's, it's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Why? Because here's what the Bible says about Christians. It says we're complete in him. It's, it says we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It says we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And you get the idea that the Lord has super abundantly blessed us in really remarkable ways. But instead of overflowing into the lives of others, believing that we have all sufficiency in all things to abound to every good work, instead of believing 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8 and understanding what's there, 
we think of it in terms of, well, you know, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I really have that kind of sufficiency. I, I, I just don't think I'm there yet. I'm, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible is teaching that we are complete in him and that we do have all the resources that we need. In other words, we have everything we need to do God's will right now. And what is God's will for us? It is that you and I would be making disciples. Are you and I actually taking the resources that we know? I mean, think about it. Hundreds of sermons that we have sat through. For some of us, thousands of hours in classrooms looking and learning and longing to to learn even more. Are we actually taking what we know and actually reaching out to others and, and discipling them and helping them to grow more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and for them to recognize, if they truly are believers, that they are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. That's what the Lord wants us to be doing. The real question about us is, are we actually reaching out to others and helping them to grow in Christ-likeness? Don't fall for this idea of, I just don't think I'm there yet. I just, I just, I just don't, maybe a little bit more and, and I'll be able to be a blessing to others. That's not a biblical construct. What you and I can do now is we can be an amazing blessing to others. And I'll show you why. This is historic in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, because the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Here's what happened, and this is the story I was telling you about a few moments ago. This is Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 28. In those days, prophets came from Jerusalem, and one of them, Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, right? So here, now you're presented with it. There's going to be a great famine all over the world. Uh, What are we going to do now? How how are we going to approach this? This is the church at Antioch. It's on the Orontes River right there, be northern, above, uh, north of Syria. And it's a Gentile church. And they're faced with this question, there's going to be a great famine. And by the way, it says that famine actually happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. It says in verse 29 and 30, then the disciples, catch this, each according to his ability. Okay, question how much ability do they have? Each according to his ability. Well, if you start with God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. If that's the kind of ability that we're talking about, then they're able to say, we want to be a blessing. We want to encourage someone. And they determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea question, why Judea? Why of all the places on earth, there's going to be a worldwide famine. Why do they concentrate on Judea? And part of the answer is they knew the people who had shared the gospel with them. They knew who had come to preach to them and how they had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They also knew the severity of the trials that the people of Judea had faced for their sake to be able to give the gospel to them. So they determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea, and this they also did, and sent it by the, by, to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, let's go back and think about it just for a minute and ask, how did this actually take place? I mean, how, how, did, how did Antioch uh, get these dynamic disciples who were able to be such a blessing? 
we would go back to Acts chapter 11. If you're in Acts chapter 11, notice in verse 19 that when they were preaching, they were only preaching to the Jews. They, they were only preaching to the Jewish people in the synagogues and Jewish people only. However, something happened, and it's historic. What happened was some of those who were from Cyprus and Cyrene, if you were thinking about your map, the Mediterranean, it'd be Israel would be here, the Mediterranean's over here, the island of Cyprus, got that little pointy nose on it that points right up toward Antioch. Cyrene is all the way over in North Africa, and it tells you that there were people from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Greeks. They spoke to the Hellenists. Preaching the Lord Jesus, do not miss the next phrase, and the hand of the Lord was with them. You know what we need more desperately in these days than any other thing we need? What is it? We need for the hand of the Lord to be upon us. You pray that the hand of the Lord would be upon your pastors. You pray that the hand of the Lord would be on the other pastors here in this region that are preaching the gospel. That's what we need more than anything else in life. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, what do we learn from just those two verses? If you're on the way and you're thinking of how do we produce dynamic disciples, how would it take place? And the answer from verses 20 and 21 is that dynamic disciples are really produced by the spirit-filled preaching of the gospel of God's grace. That's how people come to know the Lord. In the words of this morning's message, that's how they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. But there's more. Once these people in Judea and the leaders there in Judea, once they heard about it, they heard the news. They said, whoa, what in the world is going on up there at Antioch? We better find out. And so who do they send up there? They send Barnabas. Barnabas, providentially, is from that island of Cyprus, very close by. That's where his family is from. They said, Barnabas, you're the one. I mean, we want to send you. He's called the son of consolation. His real name was Joseph, you find out as you read through Acts. But they love to call him Barnabas because he's this son of comfort, son of consolation. So they send him. Now think about what's just happened. These preachers have gone in and in a spirit-filled manner. They have preached the gospel of God's grace and people have been gloriously saved. Now here comes Barnabas, son of consolation, son of comfort. When he came, verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God. A question we all ought to raise, and I raised this during the Barnabas series when we talked about this. How would you see the grace of God? What, what would you be looking for if you were to observe the grace of God? That makes a fascinating study. Just go through your concordance and look up the word grace and start working down through and find out you know, things like what we talked about a moment ago. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that would just good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and all sorts of gracious ways that husbands were interacting with their spouses, and, and that families were growing together, and people were getting along, and they were gracious with each other. Here's what Barnabas saw. He saw God's grace at work. When he had seen this grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. 
This isn't crystal clear that this is Barnabas getting up in a pulpit and saying this. It sounds more like he's hanging out with people. He's, I mean, he's talking to them, saying, hey, this is good. I mean, this is, wow, look at God's grace here. So that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. The Bible says, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So secondly, how would you produce those dynamic disciples? Well, here's how you would do it. Dynamic disciples are produced by encouraging others. We must encourage them to follow the Lord with purpose of heart. Just being a friend, just being an encourager. It doesn't mean that everybody has to get up behind a a wooden desk here, a lectern and a pulpit and preach a message. If I've never told you this before, the first message I ever preached was at uh, the Waterfront Mission in Pensacola, Florida. The pulpit was really high and the people were a long way down there. And I remember thinking during that message, if I can ever get down from here, I'll never attempt this again as long as I live. Well, obviously, I've attempted it a few times since then. But there, you don't have to be in a pulpit to do that. It, it happens in the pew, encouraging people with purpose of heart. So you can see how that, that is also a way to produce dynamic disciples. Then Barnabas does one of the most unusual things that you find anywhere in the Word of God. And you're like, Barnabas, what, what were you thinking when you did this? Because look what it says next. It says, then Barnabas took off. Uh, excuse me? <laughs> Barnabas, look at everything that's going on here. I mean, this is amazing. It says, then Barnabas departed. Where's he going? He's going up to Tarsus. Now, this would be on around the Mediterranean, going up into the Tarsus Mountains up there, because he knew that Saul was from Tarsus. He went to seek Saul. Why did he do that? Uh, when Barnabas thought about who, it, these, are, these are Gentile believers who could give them the best background in the Old Testament? I mean, who could really help them to grow in the Lord? He thought, there's, there's no one better. Here, here's, here's Paul. He probably sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I mean, he's, he has this grasp on the Old Testament and can preach Christ from that. He thought, boy, he would be the one. Get Saul, later called Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now catch this. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And that's where you get this historic note. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Antioch, a whole year. Folks, I don't think that was 45 minutes on a Sunday morning only. Now remember what you're looking at here. It is very likely that many of those people were slaves, it's very likely that these people were, I mean, they were hard workers and heavily into the trades. And so it wasn't like, oh, they're just lounging around, you know, listening to the Bible all day. I don't think that's the way it was at all. They didn't have apps on their cell phones because they didn't have cell phones. And nobody knew what, a, nobody knew what, was, they didn't have tablets except for the clay kind with in things inscribed. But in hearing and listening to the Word of God and very intently paying attention and grasping and understanding and sharing with each other, here's what it says, that a whole year they assemble themselves together. May I say to you, for whatever times there may be ahead, and we have to face the fact that there could be some pretty dark and disastrous times ahead in our nation. It could be the judgment of God. There's all kinds of things that could happen. God forbid that we should have like an earthquake here like they just had in Turkey or Syria. But here's what you can say with certainty is that dynamic disciples 
will know how to respond if they ever face those kind of situations. And how do they know that? Well, there's that spirit-filled preaching of God's word. And, and secondly, there's the encouragement of brothers and sisters helping each other to grow. But thirdly, there is this faithful teaching of God's word that produces these, these dynamic disciples. So when that happens, then think about what you're actually seeing here. This is when they made up their minds, okay, we're going to send relief. We're going to concentrate on Judea and be able to help them. It says in verse 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief. Again, why can they do that? Back to our text for this evening, God is able. What if you really believed that you were in touch with the living God, the living God to whom you could pray, give us this day our daily bread, and he would do so. And you believed God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That is, he is already giving you more than you need so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you having all sufficiency in all things and at all times may be abounding and may be able to in abundance for every good work. I believe that's what the Lord wants us to see this evening. And he is helping us to understand this is what he has for us that we could say, I believe that. I'm going to start with God is able. I'm not going to take counsel of my fears, but I'm going to begin with this. God is able. And how is he able? Well, you could go through the whole series again. God is able to save to the uttermost all those that come unto God by him. I mean, we could go through the whole series, and it's a fascinating approach. But here in this passage, God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance and be abounding in every good work. Ultimately, what the Lord is going to do is he is going to bless us in remarkable ways. He is going to help us and help, enable us to be able to lay up treasures in heaven, no matter what kind of dark times are ahead of us. And that is exactly how we will go about abounding, abundantly abounding in every good work. Let's bow together for a word of prayer, shall we? Father, I praise you and thank you that we can come to this place and we can think upon these principles tonight and we can glorify you for this great grace. Lord, it is at work in us even now and we have sensed it. And so many of us here in this room have known that as we have given to you, you have richly supplied us once again so that we can give over and over. And every single time we are laying up treasure in heaven. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your abundant grace. And I pray now, Lord, that you would help us as we look at the days ahead to be an encouragement to the people around us, to make these dynamic disciples, to preach the gospel of your grace, to encourage others, to teach others the word of God. Lord, be glorified, we pray this night, to help us abound in this grace also so that we can bless those around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.